2: you hey guys welcome to the untamed and unashamed podcast this is a place where together we can navigate through life's ups and downs with all of the vulnerability compassion and openness that we can muster along with the help of guests from all walks of life we'll discover new truths while doing some unlearning and we'll gain valuable tools for becoming who we already are while also uncovering our divine gifts i'm jake bryce and i'm so grateful that you're here When I was a kid, my birth dad was in and out of jail, addicted to drugs and very violent. I watched my friends with their dads and I had a hole that I deeply wanted filled. I knew that I was missing out on a very special bond. I remember being on a checkered kitchen floor when I was a kid and my birth dad talking to John Snyder from *Deuce of Hazards, who was a friend of his, and he told him, I do drugs because I can't see my kids. And John Snyder replied, No, you can't see your kids because you do drugs. And even at that young age, I knew what that meant. And to me, it also meant that he was choosing drugs overseeing me. Shortly after that, I remember walking out of the bedroom in our apartment and seeing my birth dad and multiple men lying on the floor passed out, some in their own vomit, With drugs around. I wasn't old enough to understand trauma and addiction, so I simply didn't feel chosen. He was also very violent. So at an early age, I resented him for so many things. I didn't know that it was resentment, but I knew that I didn't feel good. And I wanted a dad, but I didn't want him to be my dad because he was anxiety to me. When I was 12, a friend took me to a youth group. It was there that I met Pastor Warren Beamer. His voice made me feel safe. I remember crying one night after one of the first services that I attended and telling him that I wanted a dad and that I wanted peace. We were sitting in the front row of the youth room and he took my hand, lifted me up, twirled me around and told me I was deserving of an earthly father's love and that he would be that for me, and that he wanted me to never forget my heavenly father's love. He kissed me on the forehead for the first time followed by thousands over the next plus decade. He was who I gave a Father's Day card to every year after that. I remember seeing them on his desk and slowly feeling that hole in my heart fill that only a father could fill for a daughter. He was who I cried to when I didn't want to live. And his comfort and presence is why I stayed alive. I could feel his belief in me that I was meant for great things. And even though I didn't believe in it myself, him repeatedly telling me that I had a calling on my life somehow made me want to hold on to see what that calling was. He just, he believed in it so much. He was who I cried to when I lost my virginity with the absence of love. I felt used and I felt empty, and I knew something precious was gone to someone who didn't value it. We were at summer camp when I was 15, when I told him about it. He had tears in his eyes and he looked so disappointed, not in me, but because he saw me as so worthy and this wasn't in alignment with what he saw in me. I could feel that he hurt with me. I grew up watching his love for people change their lives, He'd stay for hours after service just to be there for people. He truly believed in people, and it was a healing force. Watching him cry when he would speak passionately, it forever became my favorite thing to see from a masculine. This type of belief and passion about what they were saying. Damn, he had passion. He never half-assed or flatlined at anything. Everything he did, he did it because he believed in it and it meant something to him. I watched him cry and hurt over a dozen miscarriages and still never lose faith. I saw him scream, why God, but still followed by, even if we never have a baby, I'll still serve you all the days of my life. He had an unwavering faith and this man was hit by so much. He was the man that walked me down the aisle when I got married. He kissed me on the head and then jumped up on stage to also officiate it. We danced the father-daughter dance to Bette Midler's Wind Beneath My Wings. And he was. He was my hero. I was three days past 21, and I laugh wondering how I survived his dating, or what he called courtship, rules. But I suppose that I didn't, because... He was also the person I called when I was at court getting a divorce. He sounded tired and disappointed, and he said, I've learned that people are always going to do what they really want to do. This must be what you really want to do. I'm still not sure I understand what he meant, and I know I had no clue what I wanted. I just knew that I wanted to feel seen, desired, and I wanted to live big, in my own way, not in how the church had told me to. Very little of this had to do with my husband at the time. We were kids who were just doing what we thought God wanted. And I loved him, but I was suffocating in this church bubble. I wanted to be in Africa with the children. I wanted to pursue big things and I wanted to be ravished. Most of all, I wanted to know myself and I couldn't even hear my own thoughts in that church. This wasn't Warren's fault either. I know in my heart of hearts that he was doing what he felt was best. The church was just not trauma-informed, and I had so much trauma, undealt-with trauma, and it was starting to show its head. Even after I left the church, he was who I called in my 20s with each heartbreak. Every time I ran to him, he always reminded me of my worth. He'd call me randomly while I was staying at the Playboy Mansion and say, please take care of yourself in that crazy world that you're in. You mean the world to me and you always will. I pray for you continually. Let me know if you need anything ever. I'd bust hell or any other place wide open if I had to, to make sure you were taken care of. And that one call from him and those words from him would remind me of sitting on that pew at 12 years old with a broken heart, crying to a man who hardly knew me, that cared enough to say, hey, I got you. God's got you. And no matter what I was going through, I'd get a whirl of peace. I know that my decisions didn't always make him proud. I know that I worried him a lot. I know that we didn't always see eye to eye in my experiences. We had so many misunderstandings, especially as I started to question the way things were done and people in that church would tell him things that just were not true. And I still hope and wonder if the truth ever came out. But even then, that never changed how he saw me as worthy, and that changed my life. He lived his life in service to others. I can't understand why someone as amazing as him would be taken off the planet. This planet needs him. When people are as great as him, you just feel they'll be around forever. They love and live so big that death wouldn't even have the courage to take them. Death would tremble at the thought. I remember when he told me he wanted to try for a boy. We were at Fazoli's eating lunch, my firstborn with us, and his two teen girls sitting there said, the world needs men raised by you, but dang it, we won't be able to marry them. Hmm. That's how amazing he was of a father. His own kids wanted to marry men that were influenced by him. And I'm so thankful for the gift they got to experience of having him as their father. I'm so thankful for the gift of witnessing it. I want it so badly for my own kids. I remember people used to line up for his hugs, like a literal line would form each service because his hugs were unsayable. The most loving hugs I've ever experienced. He took his time with them, really squeezing you and then just holding you in his arms, telling you how wonderful you were. It would take him almost two hours to hug everyone, but he still took his time with each and made them the best hugs. And he'd say, y'all think this is for y'all. You're each getting one hug, but I'm getting hundreds. I just want one more of those hugs. I'm also remembering that he trusted me to be on his microphone in front of his youth, even though I had no clue what I was doing. He told me and my friend Amanda, who weren't in higher leadership yet, I don't just trust anyone to speak on these mics to these kids, but I trust y'all. You're anointed, and I trust that you'll allow the Holy Spirit to speak through you. And through that, I realized the power of using our story, the power of sharing overcoming, and it's what gave me the courage to continue to speak on microphones, even this one. There are so many more people on this earth that need his care and his love, and I will continue to be that for him and for them. On April 2nd, I was sitting at my altar. I had just wrapped up my practice for the day and was just putting things back in their place when I got the message that he had passed. Late the night before, he was driving and went to switch lanes, but the truck in the next lane was stopped and he crashed into it and he died instantly. Somehow I know that even in his last breath, he whispered, it's a good day. That was something he said nonstop, no matter what happened in the day. It's a good day. It's interesting because before trauma work, when I got devastating news, I would feel it, but nothing would come out. I would feel sad, but it didn't flow through me. And after trauma work, my emotion, <laughs> it's never constipated. It goes right through me. And so when I got the news, I wailed and I wept and I shook. I just couldn't fathom a world without him in it, his children without their father, his wife without the love of her life. I was mostly weeping for them. Uh, For days, I could barely get out of bed, and then I left for the funeral to Louisiana. I carpooled with my friend Marsha, and we spent the entire seven hours laughing about what an absolute goofball he was. I can see all his silly faces in my head right now. I was really nervous to walk into that building for so many reasons, but I had to be there. I put my hand on the casket, and I heard his voice
0: say, I love my girl. Oh, I love my girl. That's what he would say every time he hugged me. And then
2: I saw his daughters, his girls. The strength of his girls and how much of his spirit is in them. They both spoke on stage and even sang a worship song. The goodness of God, which they said was his testimony. The most beautiful thing that they both said was that their dad had preached in over 70 countries, but he did not leave them at home while he lived his life and did his work and give them what what he had left after that. He took them with him. He took them with him for it all. They both said, you guys had your life changed by my dad's love. And he did love y'all, but he saved the best for us. He always saved the best for his family. Can you imagine how loved we felt? He gave us the best. We never had to question his love for us, and he included us in everything he did. We got to watch him love y'all. We got to watch him kiss all of y'all, man or woman, on the head. They both said he was the most like Jesus of anyone they had ever met. They were able to say that about their own father. And we know our children can trigger our shadows and they can sometimes see a side of us. Most don't. But this is what they were able to say of their father. Because it's what he lived. I've always had an obsession with Jesus. And maybe that's why I was so drawn to Warren. We had our different spiritual beliefs, especially about heaven and hell. But that didn't matter to me because I still felt God and his love. I had so much religious wounding at that church and I still believe he had no idea what was going on in the groups underneath him or what damage was being done or he would have stepped in. But in the midst of that and in the midst of all the healing I've been walking through still from that, Warren was my saving grace. He was why I survived it. I knew he meant well. I knew he just wanted to love people to God. I knew his heart was broken open for people in need. It was so open to them that he couldn't live except for in service. He lived in service. He was constantly in service to love. Whether you were a suicidal 12-year-old, a 16-year-old cheerleader with a seemingly fine home life, or an addict on the street, he wanted you to feel God's love. He was an arrow pointing to God. Katie told a story about how his youngest daughter, about how there were two entire years where she was afraid to be alone. And every single night for two entire years, he slept on pillows on her floor in her room just so that she would feel safe. And when he would shower, she would be scared to be alone. So he would rush through his showers, yelling through the door, almost done, honey. I'm almost done. One more minute. He wanted her to know that she was never alone, that he was always there. And one night, When she was a teenager, she couldn't sleep and she ran downstairs to him on the couch and she was just crying and crying, but didn't even know why. And he just held her for three hours straight, late at night without asking any questions. He just held her. And when she was ready to go to bed and got back to her room, she had a text message that said, I'm going to stay up all night, baby, just in case you need me. I don't want you to wake up and me not be awake if you need me. So I'll be up all night just in case. And so she did this for their mom, his wife, on the first night that he was gone. She stayed up all night so that she wouldn't be alone. She told a story about on her freshman year of college how he drove nine hours just to bring her flowers to her first class so that she wasn't the only one in her dorm who didn't get any for Valentine's Day. He showed them both how they should be loved by how he loved them and how he loved their mama. It was the greatest romance they could have witnessed. They also told stories about he didn't how he didn't miss a single game or a performance. That when Katie was in a play that had two performances a night for 12 nights straight, he was at every single one, the five o'clock showing and the seven o'clock showing, just so that he wouldn't miss a moment. He went above and beyond. He was always all in on anything that he did, especially on how he showed up and how he loved. He saw his kids as his crown, as his greatest purpose in life, the arrows and his bow. I watched them up there and I remembered the joyful tears he cried when they were born. He lived to be a father. Nothing mattered more to him. And I remember Susie being born and his joy. And I remember her being born with webbed toes, just like his. He had webbed toes on uh, both feet. And he told me that he'd let her make a decision later on if she'd like to have them separated. But of course, when that time came, she didn't because she loved anything that made her more like him. Anything that made her more like her father, she wanted to have. I didn't get this firsthand experience of having him as a father, but I got to watch it. And it calls me to a higher standard in my parenting Part of my grieving also had to do with my father wound reopening and the fact that I felt I lost him long ago when I left the church for the most part because I used to see him so much. And I'm still working through this father wound, but I can't imagine my teen years of that wound being open without his love always pouring into it. If he left a legacy, it was to love people. His love had no bounds. No one at his funeral talked about his sermons. They only talked about his love. And I pray that this episode inspires you to love people. It's what truly makes a difference. We have so many hurting people. The man who just shot up a school here in Texas, love had not met him. Yes, we need to change things and we need to do better. But more than anything, we need to love people. I remember when he was in Uganda and he found these children there that had been sold and he did what he could to get them rescued. He ended up on Oprah with them. And I know they see him as a father as well. They were there at his funeral and their lives changed because he paid attention and he kept true to his promise to them that they'd be rescued. Susie told a story about how they were out on a boat one day and a huge storm had come and shifted everything. And so the map could no longer tell them where they were at And I got scary for a moment. Their path ahead of them was no longer clear. And her dad said, let me just see if I can get on Google and download a new map. And sure enough, it had the updated map. She talked about how when you're in a storm and your path no longer makes sense, what you thought would happen is no longer happening, that all you need to do is update your maps update from Jesus or whoever you believe in as your guide, update even from your own inner strength, your own inner source. You're still going to get to your destination. It may just not be how you thought you would get there. You're still going to find your way home. The storms don't change what you came here for, what you came here to do. Warren, daddy-o, as I like to call you, Your love is still walking this earth
0: and the thousands of people you poured it into. And I just want to live a legacy of love like you did. Thank you for the gift of knowing your love. I'm I'm here because of it. You weren't just like a dad. You were the only dad I ever had. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you, I love you, I love you. This is an audio clip of him speaking. You don't have to subscribe to or believe in the same thing that he did. My beliefs are a little bit different myself. But I want you to hear his love and his passion. This was the voice of my entire teenage years. After that, it's him singing his favorite song with his daughter.
2: May we all live like it could be our last
1: today don't focus on all the money don't focus on the accolades don't focus on everything else today focus on Jesus Christ what you leave in your children what you leave on this earth for him the, the things that you can know that God did through you that people remember long after you're gone because they'll meet you in heaven to tell you about it that's the things that today you got to focus on and know that's how you become a real king And you know what then when we're a real king When we get up there and see him, we take the crown off of our head. Because the word of God says we'll get a crown and we lay it at the real king's feet, Jesus Christ. I want you to have something to celebrate when you get the glory, and I want you to be able to make it. So love Jesus Christ with all your heart. Serve him and leave that behind for your family, your friends, and everybody else to know what a real king was and who a real king serves and where a real king comes from. God bless you guys. I pray you're amazing in this world and in this life so that in the next life you can hear the word said, Well done, Doug, good and faithful servant. Kate, just in case case the the world does end on the mind calendar on Friday, uh, is there anything you want to do tomorrow? Let's go skydiving. Let's go rocket mountain climbing. Let's go 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And we'll speak sweeter. And we'll love. (laughs) With forgiveness we've been denying. Oh God, just let us have the chance to live like we were dying.
0: <laughs> Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean-ground sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7 Up, all with your card.